Welcome to episode 12, Psychoeducation in Adolescent Family Work. Without it, you are just another voice. By Talon Olguin, licensed marriage and family therapist. From Clearly Clinical, learn, grow, shine. Hi there, my name is Talon Olguin, licensed marriage and family therapist, and you are listening to CEU seminar on education is key. Without it, you are just another voice. This seminar is specifically working to talking with adolescents and things to try, uh, kind of really interventions and goals to have during the therapy process and individual sessions that come with working with adolescents. I specialize in this because I find that adolescents are often misrepresented, interpreted. They do come across as quite defiant and not the same level of insight that often happens with adults. It's also very tricky because they have a little bit more childlike thing, a little bit more nativity there of what they think is possible, what they view themselves as being capable of the restrictions and rules that they feel that they should have. And it's really kind of a bridge here of helping them make that transition. What I want to emphasize in this talk is that remembering how adolescents are told constantly what they should be trying, the rules that they need to follow, the guidelines that they have on themselves, limits by pretty much every adult they're going to speak to. And this always comes from a place of love, of trying to protect, of looking and seeing what's going to cause the least amount of damage or chaos, how someone can learn. But from an adolescent's perspective, it's very frustrating. It feels very belittling. And what you want to do is really separate yourself from that dynamic and mentality that they have of what adults are. Most adolescents will come into the room thinking that adults don't get them, that they're so old, they don't understand what's happening now, it's different for them. All statements that we've either said ourselves as adolescents or we've heard from our clients or even family members who are going through this stage. So one of the things that I will emphasize throughout this is really how you can separate yourself from that mentality of how they view. And there may be times when you are the absolute most perfect therapist that can be imaginable and a teenager just doesn't want to hear it. And that's also something to recognize of where your role in that is because what we want as clinicians to do is be something a little bit different for them. You know, we want to be a security, we want to be a challenge, we want to be someone that helps grow insight and who they want to be and really step outside of this typical adult separation that happens at this age group. So with this, I wanna also keep in mind that adolescents want to explore. They wanna feel confident and safe while they're exploring. They want someone who's gonna be honest with them while at the same time supportive. And finding this balance is kinda of gonna be one of your challenges and also up to individual style because what they're really coming in for will most likely be parents saying that they need work or the school district saying that they need someone to help them, uh, you know, Department of Mental Health saying, oh, this, this is a high-risk kid, please manage it. And it's not really going to be their choice. So how you build rapport and how you bring them in and get them interested in therapy will have a lot to do with this because they want to feel safe. They want to feel confident. They want someone who's going to be honest and treat them as they feel that they should be treated. And I would really utilize this need to grow and help them share their own perspectives, you know, and, and kind of use it as a trump card in your therapy with them. Because if you can get them engaged, if you can get an adolescent willing, participatory, communicative, you've done 80% of your battle. This is a very big transition for them. And Finding adults that they can trust, someone who's going to talk things through with them non-judgmentally and 
and really just help them make that transition from childhood to adulthood is actually pretty hard to find. And maybe there are adults like that in their life and they're not utilizing them, or maybe there are no adults like that in their life and they're really kind of on their own. So looking at these things will help you really differentiate yourself and find a different role that is incredibly healthy for an adolescent. So with this, anytime you feel the need, I would strongly encourage you to look back at your own time as an adolescent. You know, really thinking of, were you more timid, outgoing, adventurous, where you kind of want to more the defiant teenagers or very studious. Also, what led to those behaviors? What reinforced them? We want to be able to look at ourselves, not just for transference and counter-transference, but also for insight of trying to remember what it was that you were going, perspectives that you had, because as we know, There are not always logical reasons to what we do and what we say and how we feel. As as therapists, we're very aware of this and, and how we manage it, what we feed it with, what we link with those feelings and situations and how we assessments of of everything means a lot. And so really being able to look back on, again, how you can not just be another person who's there with the teenager, not just another adult, but really taking that time to say, wow, what was I thinking at this point? What would have gotten to me? What would have been something that I would have more attended to to help me dig deeper? It's very helpful. Also thinking of things that you regret or ones that you wish you had tried more of and how you personally developed your identity to what it is today because these are the same questions that an adolescent will be asking themselves. They may not be aware that they're asking themselves this. They may already believe that they know who they are. But really, this is the time frame for discovering identity and personality. And of course, it shifts. Uh, You know, you will be very different at 15 than what you are at 65. And with that, this is a big piece of it, though, of adventuring and trying, exploring and having that safe space to go back to will also help you in just questioning your own motives. Are you kind of going into a little bit more of a parent mode? Are you playing more of the role as a friend? What is happening in your relationship with a teen? Because it is not the typical individual therapy sessions that you'll often get with a young adult or middle-aged. It's different because they pull different things from you as a clinician. And so like I said before, this will help with transference, counter-transference. It'll also help with that insight that you have in the room with your client. All right, so with this... I'm also going to talk about empathy. Quite a few teenagers will come in, and and I've seen this in all levels of care, from residential, hospitalizations, outpatient, PHP, IOP. I've seen a lot of it where they just feel as if others don't connect with them. They don't feel that level of empathy, and then they just disengage. This will also help you assist in that. It'll help you monitor yourself, but it'll also help you connect with your client on a different way that they are really seeking. They really want someone to get them. They really want someone to feel like, wow, that is a really crummy situation because you have such little control over and you're you're just trying to respond. They really are searching for that more so than I've seen in some of the other populations because they feel this combination of helpless and adult, right? It's it's a tricky combo to have. So to have someone that you feel like get you as a teenager is very powerful. Also, we want to focus on building that emotional tolerance with a teenager. As we know, it's not as high as when you're an adult, just like it wouldn't be as high as when you're 30 versus 65, typically speaking. So building that safe space to explore life without judgment, just awareness and honesty will also help with that emotional tolerance because hopefully, right, knock on wood, it will feel to the teenager, the adolescent, that it's non-judgmental, that it's truly exploratory. And of course, there's going to be thoughts and opinions and, and guidance that may be given because of the nature of adolescent work. But that lack of judgment um, and, and awareness 
of that honesty will really help them build that emotional tolerance because as we know, the more we talk about stuff, the more we're aware of what's going on with our body and our mind, the safer we feel with those emotions, even when they're not particularly comfortable or or feelings like safe emotions, we feel more as human beings that we manage them. And to build that safe space is a huge of this. Awareness will be one of the foundations of growth in working with anyone. Uh, you know, why we do what we do, why we have that fear, what our response is to that fear, what we're doing to limit or increase a certain response. That awareness of our own actions and behaviors and thoughts really help move along the work. With an adolescent, there's oftentimes this disconnect between the body and mind because of all the chaos that's going on. So we want to really strengthen this awareness and this impulse control because with awareness comes, right, impulse, impulse control, come behaviors. And we want them to be able to apply this to these scenarios. That is also something that will really separate you from a lot of other adults in this adolescent's life, right? Oftentimes, I want you to think of an average teenager who comes home is being told they should be you know, doing so well in school that they need to get this sports assignment, that they have this homework assignment. Why aren't they doing their chores? You know, why haven't they called grandma? What, you know, all these things that are going on. And it's a, it's a lot of perceived negativity, a lot of perceived failure of not doing enough while also wanting to separate and differentiate themselves. So whatever you talk about in the room, building awareness to themselves in general will eventually and hopefully make it so they can apply this tolerance to multiple situations and teaching them how to do it. That is just one thing that will separate you from a lot of other adults or perceived relationships that they have with adults in their life because it's not nitpicking, right? We're going underneath. We're going to see the underneath. We're going to the underlying emotions and the underlying responses and what happens there. So hopefully that helps. I really recommend looking at The Art of Conversation, a guided tour of neglected pleasure, Um, talks about the power of conversation and just way you can implement that growth. I find it's a really good resource. It's, It's not so much something that I would give to an adolescent, but for your own sense of self. I I found it very helpful. I know I've recommended it to a couple of colleagues and it was initially recommended by a colleague for me as well. All right, so we're going to kind of start with how to build this insight and awareness. So with this, you know, there's a lot of barriers and shifts in a adolescent's life. There are just general life changes from gender identity, complications, concerns, and changes, general relationships, romantic, peer relationships, family relationships, school is entirely different in middle school and high school than it was in elementary or preschool. A lot of chemical changes going on in the body. There's the introduction of substances, alcohol, marijuana, everything. I know cocaine is actually quite big right now in the area that I work in because of the schools that are there. They demand so much work that kids will either use cocaine or they will use Adderall or Ritalin to try to keep their mind going. And once they can no longer afford the prescription or get it uh, signed off for them, they will go to um, kind of the, the street drugs with the cocaine. So that is something that I've seen. I've seen it just as much with party drugs, but of course we have alcohol. There's quite a bit of things out there. And this is just shifts and changes that are naturally occurring with someone who's an adolescent who lives in today's society. With that, you want to be very aware of what those specific cultural factors are. And by cultural, I mean religious, I mean SES, I mean everyday general living, who's in the family, everything that goes into that general lifestyle of them and what their major stressors are. Of course, you know, I'm I'm sure you do this. What I would really like to say is just acknowledging to the to the adolescent what they're going through. There is something very validating about having an adult and a professional at that acknowledging these challenges and these barriers that they face because it's often discounted, whether by the 
adolescent themselves, by adults, by people who are younger, by by friends who aren't going through the same things. And to have that is a very strong connection and once again puts you into this other role of a different type of adult, of someone that they can have a different type of interaction with and, and they become more open. So you also want to understand their own contribution to that system. Whatever it is that they're facing, you want to understand it and Really, one of your goals is to help them understand it. And this one does take longer. No one really wants to look at, okay, what did I do to instigate this fight? What did I do to make this situation worse? What can I do better? Because it's looking at personal failures. This is an emotional tolerance situation of being able to take accountability, even if 5% of it was quote unquote your fault or 95% of it was. It's a hard task to do because it's looking at our inner selves and saying, "Mm, this is something I can improve on and I need to acknowledge that. And what's more, I need to acknowledge it to someone else as well. This is hard. This is where a lot of that emotional part comes in. And I'm applying this to eventually the family systems, their interaction with peers, their just general communication towards people, body language, stress management, all of that. And and I can say most people aren't fully aware of their body language as an adolescent. I would say I get a call maybe two times a week from parents in my private practice who are, you know, she's rolling her eyes at me or he won't even face me. His back has always turned to me. He just seems to have so much negative energy and he's so stern in his stancing. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like he's going to hurt me. And that is something that an adolescent in particular is not aware of. They are learning their new size of their body, their intensity as a person. And how you help them be aware of that is so important. Also, communication is a bit more limited at this age. They have some of the words, they have all of these feelings that are going on. But if you remember, it was just a few years ago that they were younger, right? So unless they've had a lot of therapy or parent incredibly involved, they most likely won't be able to sit with the feeling of disappointment and then talk to a parent about feeling disappointed, right? That's going to be very hard, let alone have the language for it. And that communication piece, well, how do they communicate? Do they isolate? Do they shut down? Do they kind of run away? Do they start yelling? And where did they learn it, right? Because that's that's also, you know, the contribution part of the system. Um, where did they learn it? Another thing that really helps um, as kind of an entryway, because these other ones are harder, right? We've got family systems, peers, communication, body language. That is harder. That's more insightful and just more difficult to reflect on. What I can say is a good intro in building this insight and awareness is stress management of kind of asking and exploring with them how they deal with stress. Because stress affects everybody. It's something that's talked about constantly, whether it's on the radio, TV, in class, with friends. We're aware that we're a very stressed out culture in general. And, and you know, there's lots of debates about how long and, and, and how bad it is and what it used to be. But what I can say is as, as a general rule, we're aware of how stressed out we are and ask them how they handle it because that is something they might be willing to talk about. Most likely it's come up with friends. They're, they're most likely going to say that they either avoid it or they buckle down. And it's probably going to have to do a little bit with their value systems too of, of where their motivation is, what they feel is most important. And that is a less sensitive topic to talk about when introducing this awareness, right? And introducing this tolerance. Okay, so another thing that you want to kind of work into your program with working with an adolescent is this resistance to change in homeostasis. And it is very helpful for an adolescent to understand why they're having so much conflict with people all of a sudden. And I can't tell you one adolescent that I've had who's like, my parents are irritating me. I've, I've heard that and I'm sure you have too. 
And they're like, but I don't know why. Their jokes are just suddenly not funny anymore or they've never loved me. And it's like these feelings just maybe they're they're rooted in something real, but they're suddenly so much more powerful and everything that they do feels wrong and everything that someone else does feels wrong. And helping explain to them what homeostasis is and that they are changing. They're trying to find themselves and that naturally pushes against a barrier. That naturally pushes against what their life was before. And and this isn't just the family system. And I want to emphasize that. It's not just the family system that they're trying to change. They're also changing how they view selves, their expectations for themselves, their expectations from the world, how they individualize themselves. Before, it was a very different identity as a kid. And this goes back to you reflecting on what it was like when you were an adolescent, you know, all the changes that you went through, all the perspectives that you suddenly had that you had never really considered before, correct or not, right? I certainly came up with enough things in my adolescence that now I can't believe I thought were true. And that's part of it. And and explaining to them that this is natural to a point and what you and your family and, and you and your mind and you and your friends are trying to do is find a home base. You are trying to find a new way to communicate, a new way to explore while still being safe. And there is bound to be conflict in there. And then you can also link that back to that part before of understanding their own contribution system because we can't control anyone else other than ourselves. And helping them understand that, that they are in control of their own behaviors is very powerful. And then also knowing why they're suddenly having these conflicts, right? Okay, so another thing that I have into this building insight and awareness, and just two more to go on this section, is helping them deciding what they want to be. It's temporary. Everyone changes their ideas. They fluctuate between value systems and goals for the future, who they want to marry, if they want to marry, if they want to be a single parent, all of the above. And you know, helping them navigate this a little bit is very important. And this is not just one thing. This is related to both therapeutic goals and their own personality goals. Because you're dealing with someone who is developing a bit more of themselves, these two will intermingle quite a bit, right? They, they want to work on, let's just say, here's an example, they want to work on not feeling so sad and depressed and hateful all the time right? They don't like that feeling. Okay, so you're working with them on that and what the underlying issues are. But this also plays, sorry, into their developing personality, right? What type of person they want to be, how they handle conflict. What, What are the people that they are choosing to hang around? What are their interests? And where does the depression fit into this? right? Where, where does the sadness and the anger fit into this? How do they express that to people around them? And this is the age of trying. This is the age of exploring. So you will find that the therapeutic goals and the personal goals and, and developing of that personality will often intertwine. And of course, like I said before, this doesn't mean it's permanent, but it is what's happening in the room with you. Recognizing this will help you once again be someone else other than just typical adult who's you. You're helping to give them guidance. You're helping them to process what's happening with them and what they want out of life and how these other things that they are facing affect that. It will really step you outside of this expert adult, um, of someone who knows better into what do you want what are you really hoping for? Because let's look at these, these barriers that you have. Let's, let's look at this change that you're trying to make in your life. And even if you don't know what direction it's going, and let's find out what you want and what you're doing to get there, what you're doing to push against it. And let's apply it to everywhere. That conversation, exactly what I just said, is so much fun to have. Because for the first time, most likely, they're going to be like, well, I don't know. And they're actually going to have to think about it. What are their behaviors getting them? What do they want for themselves? If they're so depressed that they can't even think about it, then you work on it. You know, you, you incorporate this and you say, wow, that just doesn't sound like who you really want to be. And maybe you don't see it now, but let's just pretend. What type of person would it be? What, 
What do you see for yourself? It incorporates both of them and helps you move them forward. And with this, we get the transition. We get the transition from a more childlike mentality of someone who is not really thinking things through, is very impulsive, reactive, and just kind of wants what they want, but takes whatever consequence they have to, into an adult and someone who hopefully, right, knock on wood, thinks things through or at least considers the consequences, is able to communicate with what they don't want, is able to advocate for themselves. And it becomes, you know, kind of transition from a watchman. I, I say this frequently, a watchman kind of on a tower of looking out and seeing the world, getting a lay of the land, and but staying in that tower to an explorer of someone who has this home base, but is able to go explore and find new things, is able to communicate, is able to to have new experiences. And that transition is really what they want. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel brave. They want to feel respected. And that through these things is really what you're going to be developing with them. And so again, when you think about the different relationships that your client, or even you had as an adolescent, this is very, very much so a key part of what you're going to be doing. Okay, so the last thing I'm going to throw in there, and I touched on this a little bit, and it just the last section of this building insight and awareness is advocacy. Uh, you know, this is a big part of all these other things, because it's one thing to know them about yourself. It's one thing to acknowledge or for them to acknowledge these barriers, this homeostasis, these goals, but also learning how to communicate about them. You know, this ties into the communication, the insight, coping skills, executive functioning, impulse control, all of that higher level thinking that comes around this age. And as we know, the, the frontal part of the brain is, is really developing from adolescence to about 25 and its, and its final stage is around 25 for most people. So with that, this advocacy is now taking those things that you're working with them on to a different level, right? It, it's bringing it to a different level that helps with that empowerment, that helps with that feeling of success, of respect, whether from other people themselves. And that is strong. That's a strong feeling of being able to communicate and share and, and, and say to your family, well, I know I, I started this argument and I know that I was kind of being unreasonable. I also feel like you weren't listening. I also feel like this, this was got out of control. Right. However, they need to say this to their parent of of stepping into that adulthood world, that explorer of, okay, how do I say this? How do I try this now? Oh, it didn't work. What do I need to revamp is huge. Okay. So with that so far, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about how you can different or differentiate yourself from the general adult pack when working with an adolescent and the different ways that you can you can do that. And one of the primary ones is building this insight and awareness kind of factors, the barriers and changes that they're going through, their own contribution to their, their system and their life, any resistance to homeostasis, um, helping them decide what they want to be, and point number five being that self-advocacy. So you will find so many books, articles, classes that will have different perspectives on ways to work and, and instigate this change. I suggest reading all of them because there is never too much knowledge. There, there may be something as a footnote in a book that you end up loving and becomes one of your signature things because it resonates with you so much. And I highly encourage you to take classes, to talk with coworkers, do consults, all of the above, because we can never learn too much, especially when it comes to working with our clients, how we can be there for them, right? So with that, I'm going to start with my own perspective that I found to be helpful in, in building this insight and awareness and helping them, an adolescent really find themselves and, and work with you is just starting with the self. This ties into that emotional tolerance and coping skills as well. You don't have anyone in the room with you other than the adolescent. And this, again, this is in the individual 
um, therapy session. What we want to do as clinicians is help them recognize their own personal state, how they're thinking, what feeds and enforces those thoughts, because we want to help them apply this to multiple situations. And the the tricky part comes in is before you can really develop this insight, you have to be cautious of the ease it is to blame others, right? It becomes very easy to fixate and blame others. So say that you are helping them understand their feelings and, you know, they feel very sad and rejected and unloved by, let, let's say, a parent or, or both their parents. They, they don't have a lot of support in their eyes and they're not a priority. So instead of being able to look back a little bit more on that, they go to the easier response of, well, this is all their fault. They never loved me. I want nothing to do with them. And then they go and yell and scream at their parents and say, my therapist agrees with me. That is one thing I would be very cautious of in this whole scenario because in starting with the self, right, there there comes this tendency when first learning to do this to, okay, stop at a certain point and then veer, veer off to the right or veer off to the left because it's hard and it's difficult and we have to be able to look at underneath the underneath as he may grow and so with that we want to build that emotional tolerance and recognize the emotions it's why i really like that stress management it's a good intro it's a good intro to okay so how do you deal with stuff and you can reference it back and like oh so you know how you told me that you tend to fixate on stuff or you tend to avoid something do you think you're doing that right now Maybe we need to talk about something else for five minutes to get you to feel a little bit calmer. Then we're going to go back to the topic. You know, it's however you feel is appropriate. That is just one kind of caveat that I would give there. So with building emotional tolerance, because in order to reflect on the emotions and what they're going through, they're going to need to be able to tolerate them and be able to recognize them. Uh, I I really... um, We'll kind of reference here how to train a wild elephant and other adventures in mindfulness. It's an incredibly easy read. It's all about clearing out the clutter of your mind, of bringing out mindfulness, different techniques to do this and the importance of it. With, uh, you know, with this, I will say there, there's hundreds, hundreds of ways to be mindful. And I'm, I'm trying to remember how many chapters there are in this book and each one talks about something different. And, you know, you're going to want to, again, find your method and also something that works well for your client. But with this, I find that there's often a disconnect between the body and the brain. And we see this with a lot of anxious, depressed, um, PTSD, just most clients that will come in, there seems to be this disconnect and they fixate on one or the other. So we want to concentrate a little bit more on thinking versus feeling. What is happening? Let's identify what's going on in your mind and let's identify what's going on in your body. And I find this to be very good because once they see the incongruency, teenagers are really good at adapting. You know, they're really good at saying, oh, this is what's happening once they know what they need to do. And again, we don't want them to just do this in the therapy room. We want them to be able to do this everywhere. So helping them whatever way is possible to be aware of what's going on either in their mind or their body is helpful. And typically you'll have someone who fixates on one more than the other. So if you've got an adolescent who, you know, is all about the thinking process of, I hate this, I hate everyone, I'm just so horrible, no one wants to be around me, why do I even bother, right? They're in their, they're in their thinking, they're in their brain and they're ruminating and fixating on these, these negative aspects that they view about themselves. So helping them connect with their body of like, okay, so tell me what's going on with you physically. And they're like, oh, well, my mind's just buzzing. You're like, okay, but that's above the neck. We want to look at the other stuff too. It'll help slow them down. It'll help them with that impulse control. It'll help them with the communication and the and the verbiage. And it's not going to be easy. No teenager is going to want to sit there and say, uh, I don't know, I'm upset. You know, they're, they're not going to want to go in depth about it. So it does take work and it takes that rapport, but I find it to be very helpful. Also, vice versa, if you've got, you know, someone who's very much in their body, like, well, I get stomach aches and I'm getting one right now and I don't like this. Okay, well, tell me what's going on in your mind. Like, oh, well, I'm just not happy. Okay, but verbalize it. Let's try writing it out, right? Of Helping that connect is helpful. 
I personally like a, a few. I've got a list here for you of of a body chart. I love those and I make it as kid-like as possible and then make fun of the fact that I make it as kid-like as possible. I will use crayons and markers and I'll use a little gingerbread stencil and I'll be like, isn't this great being two years old again? And for whatever reason, it breaks the tension and having them color in how their body is responding to stuff, right? You know, um, I let them pick their colors again. I purposely make it cheesy so that way they have something to laugh about. And, you know, so let's just say yellow is happiness and blue is is where their depression is riding, is, is in their body and red is where their anger is and green is where their anxiety is. And, you know, just letting them color it in and explaining it to you. Okay, what is what do your hands do? You know, do, do they get... Um, balmy, do do your legs twitch? Do you get a stomach ache? What what emotion do you think that is since we're talking about it? And you know, eventually they should just be able to do this on their own without a full body chart, but I do find it helpful. Also a mood chart for, for people who are more clinical and, and want that, you know, regular intervals of how you're doing. And there are so many online. I actually made my own and I suggest that so you can tailor it to your clients of, you know, what they specifically face. And so I I would look at that too. The only thing is you should really make sure that they're doing it every day so you can see the different patterns. Again, that helps with the mindfulness that helps them look back because they have to take a moment out of themselves, out of their day and concentrate on how they're feeling and what they've experienced. Meditation is always a good one. Sometimes it's guided meditation. Sometimes it's self-meditation. Different clients respond to this differently. So I would um, also use technology in this sometimes with apps and and yoga classes and things like that. They do tend to be helpful because once again, it's helping them recognize what's going on with them. Different kids will respond to this differently. Being aware of their sports activities is also very helpful right um of of whether they're super fatigued and they they need to get this high dosage of hyperactive energy outside of their system of getting them active of getting those endorphins running and then being able to describe how they felt versus um, before versus afterwards. Very helpful because it, it's a physical response that they're instigating, that they're changing, that they have to pay attention to. Incredibly helpful as well. Uh, one that I do often in the therapy session, and I, I referenced it a little bit earlier, is letter writing, right? Uh, of writing down to themselves or to someone else how they're feeling, what, they, what they're thinking, what they want. And three key things that I use to, again, help them connect with what's going on in their entire system and not just that anger that tends to be very present with quite a few adolescents or that overwhelming sadness would be uh, writing about what, what they think, what they want, and what they feel. And you can make it very short, you can have it make it very long, but what it does is it, it focuses on one, what they think, so it's up you know, concentrating on their head space. And then you have what they feel, which is probably concentrating more in the heart area. And then you have what they want, a verbalizing that communication of advocacy, right? And you work it over with them. You talk to them about it. You bring them back down to center and you slow them down because you are giving them a voice for themselves. That is just the goal right there. You are giving them the ability to communicate, to process, to work things through, and then to share it. And that is really a lot of the end goal. So depending on how impulsive the adolescent that you're working with is, I would also suggest using a lot of grounding techniques. It's not as much for awareness or building that insight. It's a lot more of managing an impulse that they have in that moment. Historically, that's what grounding is for. And um, the Seeking Safety books have quite a few things on this, and I highly suggest reading them. With this, different people respond differently between emotional grounding, mental grounding, physical grounding, but it is good to do proactively. And if you want to teach them that in the session, whether it's deep breathing, whether it's counting the windows in the room or, you know, the tiles on the ceiling, whatever it happens to be, helping them just give them 
five more seconds before they make a decision, that five seconds can be a huge relief. That, that five seconds can be the difference between getting in a car with someone who has alcohol, who's been drinking and someone who hasn't. That five seconds can be someone saying, no, I'm not going to cheat on this test. That five seconds can be, I'm not going to run away. I'm instead going to go to my friend's house and call a parent from there or tell someone from there. That five seconds can be, I'm going to call my therapist instead of cutting. So those are kind of the things that we want to, we want to build in that skill set. Okay, so these things will gradually give room to a deeper discussion. Because the emotional tolerance is built, they're going to be able to connect and tolerate these feelings with situations, with fears, and you can really start looking at patterns. You know, that you can start looking at patterns with feelings and situations and, and people and, and really help them grow in this. And this is where you really want to start with the self. You want to start with that own personal awareness of what their role is, what they're doing, you know, where, where, where they're feeling and where they're making a situation more irritable or aggravated, where they don't have control and what that loss of control feels like. And these conversations will get deeper because you're building this skill, right? And this is something we want to apply to everything. We want them to be able to take what you're you're teaching them and you're working them on and you're guiding them on that you're processing with and have it apply to multiple situations, right? So um, I'm, I'm going to talk just a little bit more about that, that blame game and that fixation that can sometimes happen because there are situations that are completely outside of an adolescent's control, right? Um, they will be outside of your control. They will be outside of the adolescent's control, maybe the parents, maybe the school. There's so many people involved in this situation, you know, that we want to be aware of that. Um, how we step outside of it and how we, and as clinicians, keep the adolescent from feeling like a victim. And in, in, there's so many situations this applies to. I'm specifically thinking about a lot of trauma situations, uh, uh, also divorce situations where there's big events that are happening where it, they just feel like if they had done something better, this wouldn't be their life. You know, if their parent loved them more or if they were a better kid or if, if they were born in a different situation and you know, some of those fears that they have may be true. If they were born in a different situation, they may not be facing the same challenges that they have and helping them stay outside of that, that blaming space, that, that victim space as they develop more awareness of what's going on for them internally and externally. You know, um, the, the other thing we want to be careful of is, is kids who don't want to leave this protective bubble that they have of who are very sheltered, very fearful. Uh, you know, they, they kind of want to stay exactly where they are and they don't want to grow because they're so afraid of these outside forces. They're so afraid of becoming hurt that they don't want to challenge themselves. They don't want to challenge their fears and you will hit resistance that way. And so that's some of the, the problems that you may hit with working on that sense of self and their, their own role in their life. Okay, so as you're continuing to work with your adolescent and help them grow and, and really be that source of, of uh, support and processing for them, you're going to want to start transitioning to topics about what their response to outside forces are, right? That, that's that segue right there, um, you know, because you're going you're gonna to know them by then. You're going to have some rapport. You're going to have that honesty and that trust that that pattern awareness, and you can start making connections and start pointing out that, oh, it sounds a little bit like blaming right there, or, you know, they're denying, or you're noticing that they try to get you to agree with them when it comes to this certain family member, and bringing them back to that internal awareness, that internal mindset and sense of self will, will help that battle. It will help them because that is the foundation. That is the foundation of that internal awareness. And because you have that rapport, 
And what's more, you know their limits. Because you've been working with them on this sense of self, you know their limits. You know when they're being pushed too hard. You know when they're challenging themselves to an extent they're not ready for. You know when they're being defiant no matter what anyone says. It's just not going to matter. You, as the clinician, are capable of, of tailoring your response and maybe managing quite a bit of their anxiety, right? So that is where you want to bring in these outside forces. And so being aware of their own patterns in their life is is that key part. And, and again, that goes their contribution, their barriers, homeostasis, uh, all of that. This is where this really comes in because they're going to have certain contributions that they have to a situation and then other people's contribution will also be a factor. So building awareness to cues and their responses will minimize that conflict and help with those fear scenarios. Also modeling, role play. You can help them learn how to manage, again, that emotional tolerance, their own response so they can use their coping skills, they can use that executive function in that difficult situation. Remember, we're trying to go from a little bit more of a of child mentality to a functioning adult mentality. Because you have this past relationship, because you're not this adult who's just telling them what to do or telling them how they're doing things wrong or even just agreeing with them all the time, right? Because they want to be challenged. You don't want to be that clinician that's just agrees with everything that they have to say because you don't want to rock a boat. Because you have this different rapport with them than quite a few other individuals in their life, you can point this stuff out to them. You have something different that other people may not. You can you can let them know when they're showing certain patterns, when, oh, option A is now cutting into option C and how you're deciding to respond. What would you like to do about that, right? With any other adult who doesn't have this type of foundation and guiding relationship with an adolescent, it will just feel like they're being told what to do. It'll just feel like, oh, it's someone else telling me I'm doing something wrong. And so again, you want to be able to to work on that aspect of it. With this, right, in the in this discussion of transitioning to outside forces and being aware of them, you're also helping them build their communication skills. You started off with them communication skills for themselves, right? The first layer is recognizing the self and, and the second layer is talking about the self and response and outside forces with other people. This is outside of your therapy. Communication is a common disconnect between families. Teenagers are also attempting to find new forms of communication along with new items to talk about. So there's the often kind of just misconceptions that teenagers do not go to their parents. You know, th- there's this belief out in the world that, oh, teenagers just go to their friends. They don't go to their parents. They don't want to communicate with anyone. That's that's just what I found to not be true. You know, first, they will often go to their parents. And, and this may not be about every situation. When they're 11 or 12 or 13. And what I've been told by quite a few of my clients is they don't feel heard. They don't feel important. They feel dismissed, sometimes betrayed or berated by family members. And so it, 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 this can be a very small comment like, I don't have time right now. Can we talk about this later? You know, and, and for whatever reason, that gets internalized so negatively that they stop going to parents. They want to be able to communicate, but when they feel this way and then they're having this emotional flooding, so they're not getting the response that they want, which feeds the emotional flooding, so then they go to peers. And peers are actually a second option, and peers are experiencing the same thing with the same emotional turmoil. So... The, the thing that we want to do is build that communication skill with that emotional tolerance and that awareness so they can talk to more than just their peers about what's going on and maybe even help guide their peers through some of this stuff because not everyone will have a therapist, not everyone will have caring parents, not everyone will have involved family members who are there to process this with someone, so we take it where we can get it, right? Um, okay, and I know, <laughs> you know, we, a lot of the, the clients that we get don't have that 
ideal set of parents who are there and involved and really trying all these new interventions and and are asking you questions about how to be more present for their child. I know that's the ideal situation, not the realistic one. So of course, these things are all dependent on safety, your rapport with the client, the availability of the family. But really, remember, family present or not, we're working on this communication style. The last thing I want to say in relation to this outside forces things, and and it's I'd say it's really remiss of me not to mention it, and I would strongly encourage you to talk about it with any adolescent that you have, is technology. And I give this its own section because of the role that technology plays in today's life and in today's world. Uh, you know, it impacts and we so many people mentally, physically, stress-wise, sleep-wise, immediate gratification, interpersonal skills. There's so many aspects of technology that impact our life for good or for bad as adults, as teenagers, as children, all of the above. And so drawing truth to how technology impacts the average person, how it impacts that stress level, how it impacts all of that is important you know and and this is where that education really comes in of you know this is tricky because because adolescents are particularly sensitive about technology you know they want their phone at 10 years old they want instagram snapchat facebook uh twitter all of these above and and plus texting and messaging and and all of that and it's part of their culture and their life so just acknowledging the good and the bad about it you know talk to them about sleep studies with blue light talk to them about ADD and attention and and the benefits of it too you know I love the meditation apps and I love having the the kids and adolescents download them because the concept of having them not having their phone in their room at night charging in a separate room is rare you know most will put up quite a big fight about it. Most parents will say that's too much work to do that every night. So, you know, what they're, what what you can do to help educate them is really great. And use websites to your advantage. There are so many self-help, teen lines, um, chat rooms, things like that. But also knowing and being aware that there are chat rooms for how to commit suicide on the best ways to be anorexic without anyone to notice and, and how that's immediately available and talking to them about it, right? Um, the article, Electronic Interventions for Depression in Adolescence, is a good source for this if you need any extra ideas on how to communicate the pros and cons of both sides and and really how to talk with an adolescent about this. So the last piece I'm really going to get into for this is that advocacy. And and that was that kind of final point into that building awareness and insight. And this is kind of a it's a conglomerate of everything else because you are building advocacy throughout all of this work. What this takes it to is a different level of how they communicate in a calm, clear manner. This is hard for most adults, right? But you are working with them on, on these skills. You want to help them demonstrate forward thinking, planning, communication. They're not always going to have a family support system. They may not have one now. So how they practice these skills and learning how to bring others in, learning how to ask for help, being able to express what's going on with them so they can ask for help and receive it is important. And sometimes this is, you know, doctor intervention, having a treatment team, utilizing teachers, parents, peers, you of how they reach out to these people and also modeling it for them. Uh, you, you know, I remember one time I was working at a school and this this kid was just, you know, she was struggling so much in her science class. And he said, okay, well, how about you and I go talk with the science teacher and, and figure out what we can do? And, you know, the, the client didn't know that I, I was already talking with the science teacher and we had a great plan in mind, but we wanted to help her learn how to advocate so she could do this in the future. So, you know, her and I role played about how to talk to a teacher, how to ask for what you want, how to compromise, how to be able to explain what's going on for you. And she did it. 
you know, like I said, we, the teacher and I prepped together and on responses, but it was so empowering for her of learning how to not just have these skills, but apply them to someone outside of me as the therapist, right? And, and have her apply it to teachers and, and coaches. It's, it's such an amazing skill. And sometimes they might need this modeled for them, which is why I encourage if you're working with an adolescent, do some family work because it will really show you how they're communicating firsthand, right? So with all of this, you are separating yourself from this expert adult who doesn't care. You are going out of your way to teach them how to be functioning, how to feel successful, how to feel empowered, and then processing what that means for them, processing how they're going to apply it. And again, each style is different, you know, um, but this is a huge piece of what you're going to be working on. Um, Yeah, so... Um, and the reason I say this is because accidentally, and, and, and you know, we know this is sometimes how adolescents come across, because they are so defiant at times or they're seen that way, adults will have two responses. And sometimes it is, you know, you're so defiant, just figure it out for yourself. You're not listening to me anyways. And, and you will oftentimes get this from people because they're so worn down. They, they've kind of been berated for some time. They're not being listened to. And they just kind of, you know, don't want to have the, the adolescent around anymore. They don't want to have to talk with them. They feel insulted. They feel as if they're getting eye rolls. They're getting, you know, ignored. So a lot of adults will sometimes do that which often leads to, you know, an adolescent just trying to figure stuff out for themselves, which doesn't work well. Another response that you will get to teens is the the quote of like, I will help you in whatever way I can. Don't worry about anything because I can do it. And this um, forwards that victim, infantile, childlike thinking of, oh, I don't need to worry about anything. It's all going to be taken care of. So I don't need to grow. I don't need to challenge myself. And that's also something that we want to avoid because as clinicians, our goal is to kind of work ourselves out of a job. We want someone to be successful. We want someone to be able to look internally and regulate, help themselves move forward. So we want to help with that healthy level of empowerment. And there will be mistakes. There will be poor choices that are made, just like with anyone. The, the goal is to help guide them, right? So with this, your role and your individual style is, you know, that rapport, that connection, managing of all of those symptoms and and sometimes holding it for them, holding that emotional flooding so they can actually figure out what they're going through non-judgmentally of, of someone who is just there to help them figure out what they want to do, how they want to respond, how they feel what's adding to that feeling, right? And sometimes any person is going to need to hold that space for them. With adolescents, I find that to be especially true. As kind of a side note with this, um, I would say be very aware of your documentation with adolescents. There are multiple reasons for this, you know, partially being a good clinician, partially because divorce is so common now. Um, working with kids and adolescents notes will often peanut or requested for divorce issues, but also for your own sense of self, intervention wise, and, and being able to look at what the client responded poorer to or what they really progressed with and what they connected with in that connection um, and seeing the patterns for yourself and your own charts. You know, with this differentiation of, of finding out your role with the adolescent in this in this life that they are going through and and the steps that you're taking you want to be modeling a healthy relationship with an adult while also assisting them to guide and support in a way that a non-therapeutic provider just would really struggle with because of the different dynamics that are there you're 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 not there to implement consequences or or really even rewards it is it's there to help them the way that they want right and the way that's going to be most beneficial so you know you want to do this through psychoeducation clear boundaries personal growth so many avenues to take this on the one i would very much su- suggest though in working with any adolescent is going back to that key point 
of education, passion, awareness. You don't want that standard voice, that standard adult who they feel is just telling them what to do and instead helping them grow individually, applying that growth layer by layer by layer until they feel more self and are able to work things through on their own. All right, so with that, if you have any questions, please let me know. I'm happy to answer anything that you may have or in addition to additional resources that you may want. Uh, there is also a quiz at the end of this CEU and um, have a great rest of your day. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.